Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. I'm, well, Kevin Flynn, joined alongside, as I am every week, by the former mighty might of the midfield, D3 college standout and current media executive, a man who is so buttoned up, he, he records this podcast every week while wearing a full suit and tie. That's commitment, everybody. Grail Hallett. And the OTB producer, the baby-faced assassin of the football world and Serie A aficionado, among many other talents, the highly educated Sam Griswold. Today on OTB, we talked to Peter Wilt. This guy is absolutely amazing. You may know that name uh, or may not know that name, but as far as the soccer world is concerned, the guy's a national treasure. He has been one of the main dudes to keep the sport alive when it was dead, i.e. when I played. He just kept pounding away and believing that the promise that this game held, especially here domestically. He started clubs, leagues. He was the president and GM of the Chicago Fire, CEO of the Chicago Red Stars, uh, GMs of all kinds of other teams. I mean, he led a group of investors uh, for the Indy 11. He was involved in the NPSL and the Milwaukee Wave. Guy's a living legend. We're going to be talking to him here on OTB. Guys, you probably didn't even know who Peter Wilt was, or did you, before our interview? I did when you sent me the bio. Yeah, but I mean, isn't that pretty amazing stuff that he's got there? I mean, you, you incredible. Like, what a resume. It's like Peter Wilt and Francisco Marcos were two guys that really kind of kept things uh, kept things moving when it wasn't happening. So it was uh, mm-hmm. really great to talk to Peter. Very informative. Sort of explains. We should have asked him more about the, the actual pyramid and how it works. Uh, but I think he talked about it a little bit with the open league and things. So, uh, mm-hmm. so that's, that almost, uh, that's almost a whole other show, you know. That's yeah. a separate show. Yeah. That's the Peter Wilt show. It really is. But everybody, you know, we were talking about it before the show started about how we sort of glaze over with all the not the glazers, but glaze over with all the the letters that, you know, trying mm-hmm. to figure what leagues, what, where and, and how. So anyway, I am on the road this week in Sacramento, Sac City, they call it. I, God knows how that started. <laughs> God, that, I, I'm, I, I'm not going to touch, touch that. <laughs> hey, please don't touch Sac, the Sac, uh, Sac City. So uh, oh, I'm boy. here. I'm here rehearsing my uh, my my one man fear heights, but I tell you something, guys. The weather here is beautiful, yeah. and it's there's all kinds of fields. There's more trees in this city than any other city in the world, apparently, except Paris. They wow. said that. I don't know. We need to fact check that one. Uh, get didn't that guy the movie Dale. Didn't the movie Lady Bird take place in Sacramento? Did uh, I believe? Did. Well, look at you, it's a little trivia. Puffs. You're bringing a little entertainment into <laughs> nice the show. I'm not smart, but I bring people <laughs> in who are. That's the beauty of me. So, anyway, I'm here. But you know what I was thinking, guys? You know, all three of us grew up on the East Coast, and the the soccer playing season was not very long. But out no. here, it's it's just it's just all year round, endless. You're playing in beautiful grass, and, uh, and uh, apparently smoking beautiful grass out here too. A lot of <laughs> a lot of people. If the smell of the city is any indicator, so uh, so guys. Uh, looking forward to our Peter uh, Wilt interview or listening to it, listening back to it. But uh, what are you over today and over the ball before we get started? So I'll, I'll jump in first. Um, I'm over. I'll try to make this as quickly, quick as possible. Suspended, you? No way. No, no. Suspended coaches gaming the system by being in the stands at the match they're suspended from and being on their cell phone, as in Ronald Coleman in the Barca Atletico match, coaching in the stands. I'm like, how is that a suspension? You should be... You shouldn't be permitted in the stadium. Period. It's a, lot, it's a lot more. It's a lot more apparent these days when the stadiums are empty. You know, it, you can, it, you it, can it, spot it, them. A it lot is, easier. but to, to me, it's just the spirit. If you're suspended, you should be suspended from the stadium. The Grail wants him in a cone of silence. He I, wants wanted, I mean, he was up there like they had a camera on him the whole time. He was basically running the the match from up in the stands. Well, look, you know, all these cameras that are at these games, people, you know, even when people fake an injury or fake it, you know, someone hit me, it's just, it's great to get outed like that. I love it. So, yeah. you know, but that, that is true. They should really say you can't communicate with the team because then, then if they don't talk, they're going to text in their substitution, you know, asks Sam, what are you over? Exactly. Yeah, I'm over all the plaudits and love that Man City are getting for winning the Premier League. Uh, I mean, I'm wow. a little bit of a hypocrite here because I've not, <laughs> I haven't watched a game all season. But um, I mean, this is by far the most valuable team in the world. Uh, and, I, you know, sure, they, they play nice soccer, but I just I don't need to hear about how they've reinvented this and like done all these cool, like tactical things like they have more money than everybody. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Look, this is the same thing they were saying about Liverpool last year. So I think it's exciting when it's a different team, though. It's generally the same three or four teams in the EPL. I think that'll eventually. We well, yeah, have three the out of the last four titles yeah. have gone to City. 
and five but, out of the last 10. But I, I, you know, I understand Sam's point because look, I've often said this. I was like, Hey, you know, uh, Pep, if you're a great coach, coach Stoke, see if you can bring him to the top of the table. You know, I will you push know, back. People love, at, people love to get into all these tactics and stuff, but it remains in all these studies. The main predictor of success is the amount of talent that you have on your team. Ergo, like the club value of your team. So I, I, I will push back a little, a little bit and say you still have to harness the talent and coach it. And he he has done. He's kind of recast the team from the back moving forward and, and address the problem they had in the back. You're correct. They're able to go out and get great players, but you still got to coach them. And not every, not every manager can harness the talent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I know. But it just seems like, wow, uh, I would love to coach Man City. I would just have a lot of fun. It's like a fantasy football team. Give me a break. So uh, anyway, um, so uh, good news domestically here um, with our television numbers and MLS viewership. It's up, huh? Grail. Yeah. Um, well, it's, yeah, it's, it's did that, up. Did uh, that question surprise you? No, 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 no. Cause actually, you know, as, as Sam had been the one that had uh, alerted us to this, but it's up 30% um, on the networks this year. It's uh, now it is, there's a higher proportion. There's been a higher proportion of networks carrying games early in the season. Yeah. So that does have something to do with it. But uh, also, you know, I was reading that uh, the LA Galaxy has, I think, been featured four times on national broadcasts, and those broadcasts are up 34%. So Chicharito and the LA Galaxy are really helping to drive the ratings, which is great. And then, and then just on a related point, Paul Kennedy had a really good story in uh, Soccer America just saying that uh, the five net big networks, ABC, Fox, NBC, and Univision, Combined, had a cumulative audience of 10 million viewers across uh, 20 matches. So again, it's all good. You know, I know we, I know, you know, Sam talks a lot about, you know, MLS maybe getting lost in the shuffle a little bit because there's so much soccer on, but the good news is that their ratings are up too. So that that's a good sign. Yeah. This was really heartening. And I also thought it was cool at the end of the article. Um, Kennedy mentions that in Canada uh, it's up even more uh, 109% yeah. on TSN uh, and 28% on TVA. So uh, why, why is that guys? Why, why do you think I'm, that is? I have no I, idea, I think but 84% is, overall compared to the end of season average last year. Yeah. Some of it's the volume of games. I mean, it's just the programming. There've been more games on across more networks. So cumulatively there's just, you're going to have a bigger audience, yeah. but, uh, but I do think like, you know, certain markets drive ratings and the fact that the galaxy, you can't, you can't hide from the fact that the galaxy is doing well and Chicharito is a drawing card, especially on uh, Univision. So good. So a lot of TV. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now what we need is a certain amount of uh, American broadcasters guaranteed a roster spot uh, in the booth. It's just like on the field. <laughs> oh, you know like, how did we know we were the amount getting of foreign back players. to this? It was so obvious we were going back down this road. <laughs> Limit the amount of foreign players in the booth. That, that would be uh, the first start. They do it in every other country. Hey, but one great thing, uh, Jesse Marsh, man, he's continuing his 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 march to uh, complete an Austrian double, huh, Sam? Yeah, so they his team, um, Salzburg, won the league and cup double for, I think, the second time in a row, uh, which I don't think was a really big surprise. I mean, they're the by far biggest club um, in Austria, but still pretty cool, neat way to go out on his way to Leipzig. Um, I, to me, again, the bigger story is still why, you know, he hasn't gotten too much love in the press and people haven't been talking about what a big deal this is still just a few articles. I keep waiting for something in the New York times. I mean, that's sort of the paper of record for this country, maybe even the world. I mean, give, give me something. I heard that Rory Smith has hired security because he's actually worried about you, Sam, that you might be showing up at his apartment or something. No, we love Rory. He's doing yeah. great stories on he's soccer. He's keeping story. us. It's I, it, I, Sam, it's going to come. It's late. It's, it's too late, but I, I, I feel like there's a story about Jesse Marsh coming in the, uh, it's got to be. Yeah. Hey, look, because we always talk about teams, players, and then now coaches and broadcasters and, you know, the American stamp on this game worldwide. We uh, need to embrace it. So mm -hmm. um, I guess we can't complain about the New York Times too much because they used to not cover it at all. It would be, uh, you know, the, the world. I mean, Cup they would... sometimes have two soccer stories in one day. I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously online they have multiple, but in the actual newspaper itself, they have uh, Tariq. 
I can't remember his name. Yeah, but this is this yeah. is a reflection of what's happening. Lots yeah. of kids are playing. Lots of people are watching the game, so it should be reflected in our newspapers. So mm -hmm. uh, it's just you got a lot of these old sports guys that are in there. They're just you know cigar chomping, you know football uh, and basketball guys and baseball and baseball's having baseball struggling. You know, its numbers are going down. So, uh, you know, that's why I say I bring it up with Peter Wilt about the NCAA. It's like, when are you going to jump on the soccer bandwagon? Why are you just, you know, continue to just marginalize it? Yep. Okay, that's my, that's, I guess that's what I'm over on over the yeah. ball yeah. today. Thanks so, for getting um, that out. <laughs> so, Serie A, what's happening, Sam? Yeah, so I didn't get to this last week, but uh, Inter have won the title there, which was somewhat anticlimactic because Juve had won nine in a row and they finally lost the title, which should have been a cooler, bigger deal, but it wasn't really a close title race. Uh, and maybe more importantly, this is the first time an Italian team has won Serie A that's been owned by a foreign ownership group, um, in this case, Chinese, uh, with Suning owning Inter. And uh, I kind of have mixed feelings about it because as, as sick as I was of Juve winning every year, I mean, they are at least an Italian team and, and the, they're owned by an Italian um, company. And uh, so I, I don't know. I feel like I'm confronting maybe a little bit of my, my prejudice here, but it's getting me a little more into the thinking of the Super League and foreign ownership in general. And I feel like really breaking it down. I mean, I get to a couple, I think, interesting questions. The first one being, you know, should a owner of one of these teams make money? Um, and how is it any different, essentially, what these owners are doing from Qatar, from UAE, from Saudi Arabia, wherever, coming in and owning these teams, or, or Red Bull, you know, using it as sort of a billboard or a soft power thing? Mm -hmm. It's sort of what people have always done with soccer teams. I mean, if we want to take like a very... I don't know, rudimentary example would be like the guy who owned the local factory also owned the soccer team, didn't make any money right. off it, put his business on the Jersey. And it was sort of his way of giving something back to the community. So everybody didn't hate him because he paid everyone minimum wage. Yeah. It was, um, it was like, it was like owning a boat, you know? Yeah. Just... I mean, I, I think it's, you know, different owners looking at it differently. Like you were saying, Sam, about soft power, you know, uh, the cutter and people like that are probably less worried about losing money because they have so much of it. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, with the Glazer family, you know, they look at it from a private equity standpoint. They want to make, they personally want to make money. So they give mm -hmm. themselves dividends every year, which mm -hmm. is what drives Man United fans crazy mm -hmm. is that they, they feel like they're, they're running it just for their personal aggrandizement. Right. Mm -hmm. So that does not sit well with Man United sports. So I think it does vary from owner to owner in terms of what the ultimate goal is. Yeah, and he's, mm -hmm. you know, Sam's talking about a trend here, but it's a, it's sort of a culture clash because look in America, people are like, oh, capitalism, you've got to make the most out of your team. Look at Jerry Jones. It just, he mm -hmm. squeezes money out of the city, the state, uh, the con you know, the NFL. It's like, it's a money-making proposition to them. And that is yeah. completely foreign to our foreign friends. To yeah, there's England, there's a, an article in the BBC. It's from a while ago. It's like, you know, 2015, but it's basically asking, you know, why on earth would you buy a, a soccer team, a football team? Like, because you're not going to make money. Um, right. And I so, you know, of, yeah. sorry, I was going to say that's ego. It's, you know, control. I, I don't know what it I is. I think a lot but... of it's ego, Sam. You know, when Eck, Daniel Eck, the uh, founder of Spotify, you know, mm -hmm. swoops in with his billions and says he wants to buy Arsenal and he gets some legends involved. You know, I mean, yeah, he's an Arsenal supporter, but he's doing it because he wants to be able to, like, entertain his friends mm -hmm. at uh, the Emirates, you know? Yeah. Nothing I wrong mean, with that. Guys, do, does, does Manchester United make money? Do they make money for the Well, family? they're in huge debt. I mean, that's the other thing is when the Glazer family bought them, they took on a massive debt while they were paying themselves dividends. Yeah, that's the private equity scam. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just saying that's kind of the way the uh, Fenway Sports Group works as well. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, to be fair, just Brits don't like Americans from the get-go. So you got that mm -hmm. issue to start with. And then this just makes it worse because it kind of feeds into every stereotype. Yeah, well, you know mind. what? The Irish don't like the English either. So I'm not, I'm just saying that's the Well, way. but uh, no, yeah, so it's- um, But it's, it's just interesting. It's, like the clash is so interesting because like talking yeah. to Peter, you know, he's building these teams up from the ground, community, fan engagement, trying yeah. to make them profitable and, you know, 
I don't know. It's like we have this idea that that's how teams work when over there often it's just a rich guy throwing money into it. Well, maybe that 50 plus one model, Sam, that you talk about from Germany, maybe, you know, there, there's a chance to at some point transition over to that. Uh, who knows? That would be great. Yeah, that's but a Fans really have the ownership stake, kind of like the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay Packers, yeah. I was just, yeah. I was just thinking of them, but yeah. uh, you know, this it also bleeds into what happened at the, the Super League because yeah. Sam, the the ship has sailed basically on foreign ownership. It really has. What mm-hmm. what we're talking about now is drilled down a little deeper, and that is who owns the team and how does does money generate and where does it go? And that's yeah. what I think you know. Part of your your problem is instead of putting it back in. They, they've saddled them with debt, give themselves dividends. And that's an American, mm. unfortunately, that's like a gang violence, a bad export that we send out. Mm-hmm. Here. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the other thing so- I don't get, we should get Stephen Bank on again to talk about this, but you know, people buy these teams for $1 billion and then lose a ton of money and then sell it for $5 billion. And I, <laughs> right. I don't know how well, that works. But. They used to say it takes <laughs> money to make business, money. Sam. That's business, yeah. Sam. I mean, think of every corporation that has been bought and done incredibly badly and then suddenly gets flipped for a bigger, like a bigger sales fee. And you're like, how did that happen? Yeah. Hey, so the bottom line is guys, whatever it is, it's uh, hopefully it, it shakes out. And so the fans, well, the fans are, get screwed. It's like, it's like George Carlin used to say, he said, you know, whenever people mention the kids, somebody's getting yeah. screwed over somewhere with money. It's really, mm-hmm. it's, it's all for the children. Well, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. never for the fans, uh, unfortunately, but uh, so go figure one of the top uh, payment teams in the in the table is at the top of the table manchester united clinched it man city man city City, i mean yeah man god manchester united (laughs) gosh but yeah no they but uh, no they're doing well manchester united's doing well they're still not happy well and and it'll be really interesting because they've got the the champions league uh final coming up at the end of the month and that's been moved to porto by the way it was supposed to be in istanbul and for the second consecutive year poor istanbul has lost the final due to COVID. So now it's going to be played in Porto, Portugal. Oh, it's a hoax. It's a hoax. Yeah. It's a hoax. Yeah. But uh, I like, um, you know, as, as you guys know, I'm a Chelsea supporter, but I just, Chelsea beat them last weekend, but City did not play their starting team. So, yeah, well, uh, they, totally they're, different they're, deal. Their backbenchers would still be at the top third of the table. We believe no you doubt. agree with that? Yeah. Yes, I do. Yep. Yeah, so uh, and then uh, Aguero, <laughs> he attempted the Penenka. Yeah, uh, I did. Yeah, let me just. Say, yeah, let me quickly go through this because the the I don't know if you saw the shot of Pep's reaction on the touchline when he attempted it, but Pep had his head in his hands and he was going crazy. He covered for him after the game, but yeah. So you know, I think it was uh, probably Aguero's last home match. So he says, "Let's go out with a bang." And he did it. And Mendy, the Chelsea keeper, which I've said before, like why more keepers don't move. He just stood there and the ball hit his right hand. No, he, he moved to the right. Barely, he, yeah, barely. But, look at uh, Flinny. Look at the highlight. He barely would you moved. Do, would you do one? Would you attempt one, I, Sam? Grail? No, I, well, first of all, let's go. I, I just want a little history lesson. Antonin Panenka was the Czech player who in 1976 did this in the UEFA Euro final against West Germany and to great fanfare. And it became, you know, just a signature moment. You guys will also remember that Zidane did it against Sam's beloved Italy yep. in the 2006 World Cup final and hit his hit off the bar yeah. and came down and just went over the line. So that was, that was ballsy. I think, I just think I look at it as high risk, low reward. Because you're supposed to score in a penalty, so why take the chance? So I, I'll say what it's one think? of it's one of my favorite plays, not just the, on the penalty kick, but just any chipping of the goalie to me is uh, is is just fantastic. Um, yeah. I've never tried it in a game. Uh, lots of attempts in practice. A I, chip or a, a chip or a panenka? No, the panenka <laughs> and the chip. Um, but uh, I. I can't, I think it does do something. It's a little bit to me like uh, the difference between a layup and a slam dunk, um, yeah. which is funny because it's like a soft touch versus, you know, banging it in. But 
I don't know. There's something about it that I think gives the team confidence and just like calms everybody down. I'll remember Pirlo, Pirlo did it against uh, England in, a, in the, in the shootout. And it seemed to be this kind of turning point where everybody like calmed down and it calm everybody like, down. My heart goes through the roof when the, that somebody does one of those. I mean, on either it's side, better, it's, it's, it's just, so nail biting. But see, unlike, you know, the scorpion kick or the Rabona or whatever, those are just like, bicycle kick you know just give it a shot you got nothing to lose the mm-hmm. penalty kick you are supposed to convert so you better be damn sure that you're gonna get it right i love it by the way when it comes off there's nothing mm. more audacious than that but do you agree yeah. like i would not have to, i would not i would have, wouldn't have tried it in college because i don't think the keepers were good enough to react like that to, they're not yeah. diving to the far corner anyway you just had to kind of put it on net and you'd, you'd probably get a PK. It was when you blasted it over or went wide. Yeah, but remember when we had Greg, Greg on, uh, the keeper, uh, Greg was on, and we Greg were talking. Greg yeah. Yeah, and I said to Greg, like, why don't more keepers not move? Because mm-hmm. it's 50-50 if you're going either way. I mean, more, I would say maybe 10% of guys do go down the middle, blast it down the middle, whatever. But, yeah. you know, it's it's worth occasionally. Mendy didn't move. I don't know if Mendy knew what was coming, but he barely moved. I mean, it, I'd be curious to see the statistics on yeah. the percentage that go in and if they actually differ from just, you know, shooting it in the corner. I doubt they do. So, and you got to yeah. say, it's sort of a, it's sort of a ball busty dick move, too. It's just, oh, there's, it is. there's definitely oh, that element yes. to it. It's, like, it's an FU. There is no yeah. doubt it's an FU. <laughs> it's definitely like, you know, and oh, I'm, yeah, go ahead, dive all you want, young. And I'm keeper. sure Pep part of Pep's anger about it was that he doesn't think of city as that type of team. Like we don't do that. We play the right way. We don't do shit like that. I don't know. He plays the beautiful game, man. So, um, you know, I'm not sure. Look, that is one thing that happens. If you do it, you look like just a stud of all studs, uh, you know, calm as can be. And if you blow it, it's like, it's embarrassing. You feel it's a selfish move. And that's basically what Aguero said. He's like, I'm sorry, everybody. You know, I think he wanted to go out with one of those to be like, what's up? You guys are going to miss me next year. It was funny because it was the 46 minutes. So they cut to the halftime show with Rebecca Lowe and stuff. And and they were like, she was like, what was that? That yeah, was a panenko, Rebecca. A scathing oh, I love this. I love when people who never played the game have great criticism of these fans yeah. on the sidelines yelling stupid crap. I admire the ball. Like I just wouldn't have the balls to do it. I don't think. But uh, right. God bless people that that. Do. Right, the kick around leagues. There's no way somebody's moving. Yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. just they're standing there anyway. You just drill it <laughs> by them. I, I, I tell you, I, I went low left every time, and um, you know, just, went lo- you went low left. Okay, low to low. your left. To or, my left, stage I, yeah, right. I always went low right. Yeah. Audience, audience left, stage right. So, yeah, uh, and and just you know try to put it on net. I you know former NASL player was my assistant coach at UMass, and he just said uh, you know Kevin Welsh, and he's just like Clinic, put it on net, stroke it hard, strong, yeah. and and you know either got to go low or high, just don't go. In well, the low left is less margin for error because the ball spends more time traveling in front of the keeper, whereas as you See? go low right and you hit it, you know you hit it with a little bit of bend. It's moving away from the keeper. So I was, you know, so funny. I I have, I've, you know, some people who don't really know the game have asked me about the penalty kick. Like, why can't they just make that? That's pretty easy. I guess like in a way it's like a foul shot. You should make it. But but I said, not only is it a foul shot, but a foul shot that someone can potentially block. So there's a problem there. Plus, you know, it used to be uh, as you put the ball down and look up the first place you looked, that's really where you were going to go. The goalkeeper would think, but then the goalkeeper would think, well, he knows that I know that. So maybe he's going to look left and go right. It's, it's a huge head game. It's like you're sitting on a psychiatrist's couch. Well, and data, to figure out just think this. about how much more data they have on all of that, which they can right. plug into the keeper. So he and my a- thing is, which way does he, which way does this guy go when he takes PKs? That's yeah. the, the, you know, the only thing. So, so uh, j- just quickly too, I'm not a big fan of the stutter step and I would love to see a stat on if there are more penalties missed on stutter step penalties than there are in regular. Cause I, I've never thought the stutter was a good thing. That's Sam sounds like a Sam due diligence. Uh, Google Sam, no, 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 Sam. I'll what do you think about this? So what do you think about the stutter? Uh, Fernandez does it with uh man United. Yeah. You wait, you oh, mean pop. the like sort of hop jump at the end? Yeah. yeah the like, hop may, or, may. or just the almost like stop. Yeah. I know you can't fully sit, but it's almost like a stop and it's a delay and yeah, the hop thing. Yeah, and Pogba the, does and, it. Neymar does it. Yeah. Like just yeah. take the much. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. So, um, all right, guys, I've got to mention this real quick. The, the, uh, the men's college cup is going on. Um, this, uh, Marshall, 
is just beating some great teams. They beat, they beat Clemson, number one ranked team in the country at the time. They beat yeah. Georgetown, which is always a great squad. So Marshall out of nowhere, props to them. And Pitt, I think this is Pitt might be, now that's Jay Vitovich, who was uh, Wake Forest's coach, is now Pitt's coach. And I think it's Pitt and Marshall's first college cup. So it'll be, I mean, it'd be amazing if they, if the two of them ended up in the final, I mean, because uh, Marshall's playing UNC and Pitt's playing Indiana. So I actually like the chances of the other two teams more, but we'll see. College. Hey, so the U S open cup, and I think the college cup are just two underutilized uh, assets that uh, we should really sort of mine more. Yeah. Um, Cause it's uh, you know, we talked about it on the show before just kids should be every kid in that area should be go seeing these college kids play there. They're, they're scholar athletes and there they are and, and playing at a high level. So, and good uh, luck tonight to our friend, Anson Dorrance, whose UNC Tar Heels are playing against Santa Clara tonight in the fine in the, uh, very nice. the, the women's college cup. Yeah. All right. Before we bring Peter on guys, I just wanted to, uh, this article about Rory Smith wrote about uh, Robert Lewandowski and his training methods. Uh, the hat trick he scored last week leaves him one short of Gerds Miller, Gordon Mueller's, record of 40 goals in the Bundesliga with two games left. And the record has stood for almost four decades. So uh, a lot of people thought it was unbreakable. What a, what a player. I mean, we love him on this show, man. How could you not? We give him pro. I mean, I think the three of us just have always loved the guy. And when I read the Rory Smith story, I loved him even more because it just wasn't by happenstance. I mean, this guy is the hardest working guy on the team. Uh, Klopp called him the best player he's ever coached. And um you know, and, and other than this recent injury, he's been like, the guy's been an iron man wherever he's played. He's scored a ton of goals. So I, you know, I just root for him. I read the article. I was like, I love the guy even more based on this article because it's no accident what he's doing. Well, he's built like a brick shit house. That's for sure. So obviously he works hard at it, uh, you know, to, to get there, but boy, even watching him play just the things he does off the ball, uh, his positioning, the timings of his runs, his finishing ability is, is what everybody notices, but so many other things. It reminds me, to, to use another sports analogy, of like a Larry Bird where you got to watch him off the ball. He's do, some of the magic is occurring when he doesn't have the ball. Well, and they were describing like a chance where he's almost like processing it like the Terminator would. Remember in those Terminator movies where like the camera would come out and he would like be looking at angles and stuff? Like he's looking at just the highest percentage a shot to take in a nanosecond. And he, mm -hmm. he like, he had a missed opportunity in the game. He went back and reflected and said, next time, if I'm in that same position, I'm going to do this instead. I mean, it's just, it's very impressive. Oh, another level, man. So yeah, it's amazing when someone commit. it's, it's it, actually, it's more like, uh, you know, Tom Brady just being totally mm -hmm. committed. Everything uh, 24 seven is about the game. So, uh, all right, well, let's, uh, let's, let's get a little wrap there, guys. I think uh, let's get Peter on. Um, in a little bit, let's take a break here. We'll come back with Peter Wilt, a man who has, uh, has got his DNA all over soccer in this country. You're listening to OTB. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And by Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com. And when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, I talked about this man's impact on the game professionally, domestically here in this country. Uh, he is a managing partner now, president and CEO of Chicago House Athletic Club. Cool name. I like that. It's kind of getting away from the, the normal model. He is one of the most respected and well-known executives in American soccer. The guy has launched more professional soccer teams than J-Lo's had boyfriends. Peter Wilt, welcome to Over the Ball. Great to be here, Kevin. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So uh, full disclosure here, you're in a car. We're driving, so the uh, the sound's going to be okay. But you're a wealth of knowledge, Peter. So I want to hit you up with this right away. I, I, I knew about you back in the NPSL days when I was playing in Kalamazoo. Um, but you have had an amazing journey. You've kept this game alive uh, on a professional level uh, and been involved in so many ventures. Can you just sort of walk us through? Because look, some of the stuff I knew about you uh, wasn't even on your resume or on your bio. So um, walk us through your sort of uh, journey with this game, uh, if you could, and, oh, and how this, this yeah. whole pyramid, pyramid of, of leagues works. Yeah, so uh, yeah, you and I kind of uh, crossed 
paths uh, in the indoor days, the kind of the dead period, the dark ages of American soccer in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. I got started in soccer with Milwaukee Wave as an executive there. Uh, 1987, working with John Delinsky was our coach. <laughs> yeah. uh, Pete Knezic was a star forward. I mean, there's some uh, Louis Bennett, who's now the head coach at Marquette, Marquette uh, yeah. was one of our players. Yeah, there's some great names, great folks, including yourself playing in, well, the old AISA before it was uh, the NPSL. Uh, and then I became general manager of the Chicago Power in 1990. Pato made me look good, and uh, we won a championship my first year there. Did that for four years uh, and uh, went to outdoor soccer with the Minnesota Thunder. I took them professional working with uh, Buzz Lagos, his kids, uh, Gerard and Manny, and of course, Tony Sana, Amos McGee, uh, who also did a lot of indoors with the Milwaukee Wave. Uh, so indoor was an important part of the foundation of my career. And then uh, went outdoors when the sport started to have a revival and uh, led the Thunder to some, some uh, halcyon days in the mid-90s when uh, Chicago got its MLS team in 97. I guess that was my big break. And uh, I was the first general manager of what became the Chicago Fire. Spent eight glorious years there working with Bob Bradley, Dave Sarikin, um, the Eastern block of players, Peter Novak, Lubish Kubik, uh, won a number of championships there. And uh, before they ungloriously let me go in 2005, which allowed me to start up some more teams, the Red Stars and the WPS. The Red Stars are now the uh, oldest continuously operating pro women's team in America. Kind of proud that I had a role in starting that team. Uh, Yeah, went back to the wave, did the indoor Chicago riot, started Indy 11, forward Madison, and now Chicago House. And uh, now we're up to date and we can end the interview, right? Well, unbelievable. <laughs> but, you know, because look, you, you have just gone through a litany of uh, the history of this country. I mean, I'd say like, I just, you know, with the NPSL and then the 94 uh, World Cup, it seems like people like started to pay attention then. But these are all the names and the people who kept this, uh, this sport going in this country. When you talk about the dark times of like when I played in the indoor league that uh, year, it was, we were just just uh, like Pied Pipers, just trying to sell this game to everybody for low money and, uh, you know, low numbers. And we just kept plugging away, doing personal appearances. Uh, Nick O'Shea, who was my line mate in Kalamazoo, just sent me a picture doing a personal appearance where they made us pull our shorts up really high. And then the women from the mill came to the, came to the bar to, to try and sell tickets. And they're like, go ahead, girls, grab yourself a kangaroo. And it was like, oh, my God, what we're doing. <laughs> to sell it was kangaroo. crazy. Yeah. There was a decade, a decade of those dark ages from the time the NASL folded in 84 until MLS started um, in well, 96, yeah. where that's what it was. It was Pied Piper going town to town. Uh, trying to keep the sport alive. And I remember with the Milwaukee Wave, a similar situation. We made, you know, we put all of our marketing budget into a, a TV commercial where we had Saeed Bakhtiari grease up his legs so it would shine <laughs> and appeal to the girls. And it, I think the tagline was, with legs like this, it's no surprise these guys score every week and often. Oh my God, you would never get away with that now in the Me Too movement. There's just no way that that stuff would happen. Uh, Grail, Grail, do you have a question for? Yeah, yeah, Peter, great having you. And uh, clearly you've had more teams than Spinal Tap has had drummers. So you've got that going for you. Um, Just uh, getting back to MLS. Exactly. (laughs) Just a little green globule was left. Um, So just getting back to MLS for a minute. So when you guys launched or when MLS launched in 96, there were 10 teams. And uh, fast forward to looking down the road a couple years to 2023, they're going to be 30 teams. And I'm just curious what you think about where is there a max out point? I get it. More teams means more revenue. But at what point do you dilute the product? Yeah, it's it's been well managed by MLS. You know, they created the this um, false sense of scarcity, saying we're only going to add two more teams. Well, we're okay. We'll add 
more teams. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll add four more teams. And they've managed to increase the value of these new teams and the expansion fees are getting by limiting the scarcity of it. And how they've done it over the several decades now. Um, yeah, the, you know, I asked Bob Bradley that question about dilution when we were, I think, 16 teams or 14 teams. I said, how far can it go? And, you know, Bob, of course, is smarter than me, smarter than most people. And I thought he had a, a good answer to that. He said, at the level of play of MLS, the international spots is limitless. You can expand as much as you want, and it's not going to dilute the talent. The domestic side, he was actually pretty optimistic about being able to expand and retain the quality. You know, certainly the national team caliber, the top level, is limited. And you don't have now what we had in 2000, I'll say, with the Chicago Fire, which I think was the best talent the Fire ever had, even though we lost an MLS Cup. We had something like a dozen national team players on that one team. You know, you, and a couple of those were international national team players, but, you know, you had Chris Armas and Ante Razov and DeMarcus Beasley, Carlos Bocanegra, Jesse Marsh, CJ Brown, Zach Thornton. Um, I'm sure I'm missing wow. some guys, Josh Wolf. But holy cow, on one team. And that's not yeah. even counting Christos Deutschkopf, Peter Novak, et cetera. So the national team, U.S. Uh, has been diluted, not only spread out through MLS, but frankly, spread out to Europe, because most of the U.S. national team players, the top national team players are now playing in, in Europe. But what Bob also said is the next level of player, American player, is, I don't know if you use the word fungible, but it, it's an expandable uh, pool of talent that They've got the raw uh, physical skills and mental aptitude to be able to do it. They just need the opportunities. They need the environment. They need the coaching uh, to develop into MLS caliber players. So his theory was as long as the opportunities are there, that level of American player will expand to fit the need. So you can go to 30 teams or 40 teams and still have that caliber of player. The other thing that's happened to answer your question is the uh, limit on foreign players has expanded. I think in those uh, early days of MLS, it was five or maybe even three at one point, foreign players per team. And now it's eight, which the lower division teams at seven. These are U.S. soccer limits, mandates. It's kind of BS that lower division teams should have a different limit than an uh, a, a first division team, but whatever. So yeah. there's eight now. And I think even that is, is fungible because I should get bonus points for using fungible twice. And say, I know, I, really. I, I haven't heard it in two months, and now I've heard it you, twice. You really confused yeah. Kevin with that word. <laughs> yeah, and I'll keep going back to it. Um, but if, I think teams can even trade. I'm not up on all my MLS rules these days, but I think you can even trade foreign spots. So you could have rosters with 11 uh, foreign spots and not start a single American player. And of course, yeah. your green card process expands that pool. Uh, so I do think the, the talent isn't necessarily diluted by the number of teams. I think where you get into talent dilution is can the salary budget, salary caps keep up with the rest of the world? Um, yeah, it's a right. global marketplace and you're trying to get the best possible players. But again, I think MLS has generally done a good job of balancing, uh, increasing player compensation while trying to stay fiscally responsible. Um, you know, MLS has a lot of issues, don't get me wrong. But I think they, from a business standpoint, and balancing that with a soccer standpoint, they've balanced the growth of that pretty well. As soccer fans, we all want them to be a top five league in the world, and that obviously requires money. And so we want them to go there, but the revenues have to justify it. It's a bit of a you know cart and a horse, um, right. but I think it's heading in the right direction. You know, Peter, you, you know, you're talking about the uh, the amount of foreign players. I know when I was playing, that was a, a problem because as an American kid coming out of college, you, you couldn't get a spot because 
they were all foreigners and and even the american spots were held by green card holders which are americans but it was a you know they they didn't go to college here so it was sort of you know what you guys did with these leagues that you started kind of gave american players a chance to just get a foothold and you know we talked on this show before about you know christian polisic talking about 14 to 16 you got to go somewhere and get some training um i think uh, you know, the sort of the leagues that you've helped start and worked in have given Americans that chance, and I don't want to see that go away. Yeah, especially lower divisions now, I think it's where it's at. Unfortunately, MLS is kind of getting away from that. Uh, Minnesota, that Minnesota Thunder team I ran, that really addresses your point there, Kevin. Uh, it was, I'll say, a 100% Minnesota-based team. Every wow. player on that team was from Minnesota. And it wasn't just, okay, we have a local team. It was good. They won uh, the USISL uh, regular season championship uh, with all Minnesota players. And it was runner-up in the playoffs against Tony Miola and Chris Armas and Giovanni Savarese and the Long Island Rough Riders in the last pro season before MLS in 1995. So getting those American players on the field was critical. It was In that case, it was giving opportunities to Tony Sana, Manny Lagos, Gerard Lagos, Amos McGee, you know, all guys that contributed at national team <laughs> level and, and, and first division level. Nice stuff. Yeah. Sam, you have a question? Yeah, uh, Peter, we got the, the College Cup coming up soon, and um, I'm curious what your take is on the college game in general, um, I guess your own opinion of it, and then how you look at it from a professional standpoint, where it sort of fits into the whole pyramid and the whole picture. Yeah, I mean, obviously more, uh, more soccer is better, but um, the, the the structure of college soccer, the limited number of games, the quality of the competition, arguably the college or the, the caliber of the training for most of the teams is not on par with uh, what 17, 18, 19, 20-year-olds are getting in the rest of the world. When you're in a full-time professional environment, you get, you develop better, you know, I don't think that's a very controversial statement. And for American players that are quote unquote developing in, in, in college, they're limited in what they can do. Uh, augmenting that with um, amateur summer soccer helps. Uh, I think, you know, USL league two in particular, uh, but also NPSL and uh, UPSL provide some good opportunities for college age players to develop. Uh, but, you know, you, you you can't be all things to all players and you know, college soccer offers great opportunities for the 99% of players that aren't going to go on to professional careers. It gives them an education. It gives them a social structure. That's wonderful. So it's not like anyone should be saying get rid of college soccer, uh, but what's happening uh, not surprisingly is the top echelon of America's young players are choosing to play professionally at younger ages, whether it's going pro in the U.S. or overseas. And that's good for those individual players' development. I don't think that means college soccer goes away. Um, you know, college sports <laughs> has a, a day of reckoning coming very soon in right. terms of comp compensating players and the business of the sport. And soccer is part of that. Uh, so it, it has a role. And it's a good role. Um, I think it also should be seen as a development for coaches. I don't think there's enough college coaches that go on to the pros. And a big part of that is because of the job security and the great right. pay that college coaches get. And that's wonderful. Yeah. But I, um, you know, the pro game is a loser there. We, um, you know, I think one day the NCAA will regret not sort of embracing soccer as a growth sport and, and sort of making it more habitable for players to develop. Uh, and these other leagues have developed players uh, in spite of that. And that's that's who's feeding MLS and even the national team at this point. So, uh, Grail, you have one more question. I think we, we got to got to hop. You got a lot of you know, it's funny uh, doing an interview with you, Peter, when you're driving a car like that. You look like an Uber driver uh, doing it. We're, 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 we're talking to a yeah, very well, knowledgeable Uber driver. Out. 
Where do you need to go? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, every Uber driver has another job, so it's sort of like, yeah, you're president and GM, and and I drive an Uber in the day. It's uh, kind of nice. I just, uh, yeah. I just, first of all, I just want Peter to know that I'm going to give him a five star rating. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I want to take you back in the uh, take you back in the way back machine to June seventeenth, nineteen ninety four. Uh, City of wow. Chicago hosted the opening uh, game of the World the Cup OJ at Soldier Field. You're, you must be talking okay. about the OJ chase. I was there. I was <laughs> I was at the game. It was blistering hot. West Germany beat Bolivia 1-0. Klinsman scored. In any case, fast forward 2026, the new bid, the World Cup's coming back, and Chicago decided not to bid on being a host city. Can you give shed any light on what went into that decision? Yeah, well, first of all, I was also at that game. I was you know, with Pato Marhedic, actually, at, at the game. And uh, afterwards, we all went over to uh, Kitty O'Shea's in, in the Hilton. And we're watching uh, the NBA playoffs when the OJ chase started to go. Wow. Uh, that is a yeah, very memorable day. And, yeah, obviously, Clinton scoring the game winner. Uh, yeah, the fast-forward thing, that has to do with Chicago not getting the Olympic bid. For uh, 2016, they were a little upset about all the work they put into it, all the financial resources they put into that bid process, only to be spurned, uh, and, and, and it carried over to the World Cup bid. And then also the uh, FIFA requirements to guarantee $10 million um, for, you know, in the proposal, it, it was pretty heavy-handed. Uh, Chicago wasn't the only large city that didn't bid on it. Minneapolis didn't. I don't think Vancouver or Toronto did. I may be wrong. I don't think Phoenix did. Um, don't think St. Louis did. Yeah. Uh, so it's not all on Chicago's uh, shoulders. Uh, obviously, I wish they bid and I wish they were hosting, but uh, there is some legitimate reasons not to. Yeah, it seems like it's not the great done deal as uh, everyone. It's it's not a money maker for cities sometimes as a, as it's proposed to be sometimes. So, uh, Sam, you got another question before we wrap up here? Yeah, Peter? Um, just Peter, looking you know back at your career, I, there's a, always been a really strong emphasis on community building and fan engagement, and uh, I'm wondering what your take is on the Super League developments over in Europe, um, which seem to be kind of the exact opposite of that. Yeah, and the, the fact that it imploded, I think, uh, bodes well for our current efforts in America with NISA and our attempts to build an open system here. I think it really educated Americans on the difference between a closed system and an open system, at least among casual soccer fans. I think there's more education that needs to be happen, happening. I think uh, USL and maybe even MLS is going to try to do a closed system version of promotion relegation in the future. But it isn't real credible, if you ask me, because you still have to pay to get in, pay to play. Uh, whereas NISA, we're building a true open system with no territorial rights, exclusivity, uh, pr true promotion and relegation. And I think that open system is really embraced by the fans that take the time to research it and understand it. And the efforts by the European Super League to close their, their system really shined a light on it. And uh, I, for one, was excited to see it happen because I thought it had zero chance of, of uh, happening. And it had a 100% chance of educating Americans about the folly of a closed system. And, and you know, and about American systems, we talked about it here last week about, uh, you know, the, the guy, Cronky uh, in Missouri, he's from St. Louis, he moves his team, just gets a better deal. It's like, wow, you can take a team away from a city? It's amazing. Well, the Oakland A's now, they, yeah. oh my God, Major League Baseball being, the, trying to be the fall guy for it. What kind of BS is that? Where, I mean, I've, I've seen it before, but yeah, whatever. This is if, if, and it will, the Oakland A's move, it'll be the third time they've moved. Right? They went from Philadelphia to Kansas City to mm -hmm. Oakland, and now they'll go to Portland probably. And, you know, whatever. Um, you know, fans are gullible enough to think that it's their team. It's not. Uh, yeah. It's the owner's team, and that's a shame. Uh, what we're trying to build with NISA in Chicago, with Chicago House, is a community-based team. We're going to have fan ownership with it. 
Um, I, I'd like it if U.S. Soccer changed the pro league standards so it allowed uh, either 100% fan ownership or at least 50 plus one, like Bundesliga. Well, Pete, you're talking about the, you know these teams moving. I'm so old. I still reference the the Colts as the Baltimore Colts occasionally. Uh, back to the Johnny Unitas days, but uh, we got to wrap it up there. I uh, we're going to give you five stars as a guest host, uh, as and, and a driver, an Uber driver. His car, driver. His car is very I'd clean. I'd get a gratuity, but if it's five stars, <laughs> I'll take it. I thought hey, the water gotta... the water in the back seat was a really nice touch, Peter. Thank you. Hey, hey Peter, Peter, I have to say though too, my last professional game was in. Oh, he's gone. He's already gone. My last. Last game uh, professionally was uh, against the Milwaukee Wave, and it was Noonan and I, Mike Noonan, who's now the head coach at Clemson. We always mention him here on the show. Uh, it was funny because it was the most highly penalized game in NPSL history up until that point. And Noonan and I, I don't know if you remember when we had Joe Macknick on the show. Joe, was, yeah. he, rev- he fined me $500, which was what I, what I was making a month, I think, back then. And uh, they find Noonan and I 500 bucks for taking our shirts off and handing them to the referee. <laughs> yeah, well, we found out when we interviewed Joe that he refereed me in college up in New England because he used to ref up there too. Uh, some good stuff. So it's great talking to Peter. And, and uh, well, let's just go, we'll just go right on through the end here because he sort of jumped off unceremoniously there. But boy, what, um, what an advocate for the game in this country. Um, you know, domestic. I mean, people don't know these stories, so it's great to hear them. And, uh, you know, talking to Peter there, he's just rifling off figures and dates and names. How about all those names? It's like a walk through the U.S. men's national team. And he mentioned Pato Marhedic a couple of times. What a player that guy was. Uh, made me look like a fool on more than one occasion. Uh, and I love guys like that because they came here to this country to play the game they loved and they stayed and yeah. they raised families here. And they coached in the community. Hey, Peter's back. I think he's uh, he's back in that our Uber driver returns. But I was talking about playing against Pato Marhedic and how he made me look like a like a fool <laughs> many a night. He was a hell of a player. He was wonderful. Uh, one of my favorite players of all time. I mean, I grew up a Sting fan, and then to be able to work alongside him was a real honor. And just a character off the field as well. What a personality. What how charismatic. I think we had more personalities back then. Maybe it's because it wasn't as structured or regulated or not as much money involved, but there were characters like Pato, and uh, I miss that today. I remember, you know, one of the games, our coach, uh, uh, Chris Bartels, who's passed away, unfortunately, was he was a born-again Christian, so he didn't want beer in the locker room. And back then, after a game, you had beer, man. And so I think it was Louisville or Milwaukee came running into the locker rooms like, where's our beer? Uh, we're adults. We will decide if we want to have a beer or not, not you. So a quick story about Pato with that. Uh, with the Chicago Power, where he was player, coach, superstar, uh, our owner was a former missionary and an evangelical Christian who didn't want beer in the locker room or smoking, any of that. So after every game, Pato made sure – that he had a beer in his hand and a cigarette in his mouth for when the <laughs> owner came in. <laughs> uh, and he's the best player. So, you know, yeah, exactly. We're all adults here. Let's make our own decisions. But, you know, it, it was funny. I, I talked to Brian McBride, you know, a few years ago. And he, and he said, uh, I said, well, you know, um, you're not supposed to talk to anybody till you have a couple of cold beers. And then you, you go back out there after you take a shower. He goes, beer? He goes, nobody drinks beer in the locker room. I go, what do they drink? He goes, uh, a, a drink designed for your, you know, your, your body. And I'm like, oh my God, things have changed. But I think you're right, Peter. There aren't as many characters because I think it's, there was a lot of the school of hard knocks. So you had a lot of uh, guys that were sort of uh, working outside the, the comfort zone of normal sports. CJ Brown and I were talking about this the other day. And, you know, CJ doesn't, he, he was on kind of the, the, the tail end of the dark ages of American soccer. He yeah. played a couple years with the San Francisco Seals, I think, in the USISL. And he made the point that the MLS players in the early days really appreciated what they had. Right. Actually flying to games, getting only two people to a hotel room, getting real meal money, not having to worry if your check is going to clear and race to the bank against your teammates to see who got their first. <laughs> You're talking about my career right there in a nutshell. Yeah. And for the first few years of MLS, the American players really appreciated, embraced it. They did appearances, signed autographs without complaining. And then after a period of time, 
those players started retiring and you got the players that just never had that experience and they didn't appreciate what they had. And, you know, I guess it's an inevitable part of the growth of the game in this country. And I, I'm glad for all the good things, uh, but uh, there's a part that's missing as well. Yeah, you don't want to sound like that old man, like back in my day, uphill <laughs> both ways to school and down. And so, hey, Peter, this has been absolutely fantastic. It's been great talking to you. Um, we hope you come back and talk to us uh, again on Over the Ball with your whatever your next venture is, man. You're like you're like the music man. You just show up in a, in a town and start banging the drum, the soccer drum, and boom, there's a there's a team there. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for uh, keeping the dream alive and talking about it. And I look forward to catching up with you down the road. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. Wow, well, that was great. A little, little history lesson, too, with soccer domestically in this country and all these leagues. And uh, it was interesting talking to Peter. Peter Wilt has his fingerprints all over the world of soccer over the last 35, 40 years. It's amazing. Incredible. It's amazing. Yep. And you may, you know, that, that open, open league and closed league, it, it was all interesting stuff because look, uh, we've mentioned it here on this show before we, we get confused by all the letters and, you know, the alphabet soup of soccer leagues in this country, but it's uh, it's nice to see someone. He's got a purpose and a focus and it's developing the American player in the game in this country. It's wonderful. Yeah. We will get him back on for a tutorial. A tutorial on yeah, yeah, Professor Wilt needs to take us through the pyramid mm. of soccer, which confuses the hell out of me. And he gets only, our highest rating. Yeah, only slightly disheartened by his comments on the uh, NCAA game. But I think he's very yeah. honest. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, we had um, what we're up against Dominic Kinnear on, and he said something very similar about the opinion of, you know, the pro leagues uh, on the college it's, game. So it's going to miss him. Uh, it could be a feeder league like it is to other sports, but probably not anymore. And again, I said the NCAA is going to be asleep at the wheel. So uh, what do you got for us? You got a quiz, Sambo? Yeah, I got a little quiz. Uh, so I was looking at um, market values for clubs. We mentioned this a little bit earlier with Man City winning the Premier League. Um, and I was looking into the sort of value of a team. That's like how much its players are worth technically uh, and how they affect success, affect success. So I was looking at the transfer market website and they give a couple tables, one showing a team's transfer expenditure for the season compared with their league position. Uh, another one that shows the team's transfer balance. So that's, you know, ins and outs. And then finally, the overall roster value versus league position. So what I did was take all three of these, throw them in a nice little spreadsheet uh, and gave each team basically across Europe's top five leagues a plus minus for whether or not they overachieved or underachieved based on God. these factors. That is, a, that is a lot of, that's like a you, senior see, year thesis. Flynn is already confused. What I am doing? glazing over. <laughs> I am just... You're but it makes sense. So it's it's how much the team's roster is worth, how much they've spent on transfers, and then how much they've netted on transfers. Okay. Um, so I wonder if you guys can tell me by this metric which was the biggest overachiever in Europe this season. And I think it's kind of a surprising answer. Yeah, you mean based on what they've spent on their roster? Based on what they've spent on their roster, yeah. And how much their roster is worth overall. I mean, it's not a perfect metric, but... Uh, Lille. You know, in France. Okay, you're going with Wheel. I'm gonna go with Leicester City. Okay, those are both really good guesses. It's actually Real Madrid. Whoa! What? Plus what? 34, which is very surprising, right? But they brought in almost nobody. Um, during yeah, they're the using their bench finally. They're summer. using their bench. And they've really had to dig into the bench. So they, they uh, made the big commitment on Azard a couple years ago. So yeah. Um, so you guys are right on Leicester. I mean, Leicester City are the top achieving team by this metric in England at plus 27. Okay. Uh, and Lille, let me just find them for you. Lille are the top achieving team in nice. France at plus 25. Très bien, Flini. Je suis à la gare. In Italy, it's uh, Milan at plus 23. And in Germany, it's Union Berlin also at 23. So some notable negative seasons. Chelsea, Grail, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, Chelsea. Come in at a minus seven. Juve come in at minus nine. Um, wow. And Dortmund come in at minus six. Um, so it's surprising really? to me because wow. Dortmund, we've always thought of as the team that really was financially sound because they so, they moved a lot of players. Yeah, well, they're not having a great. They're only in fourth yeah. place right now. Yeah. So, oh, maybe they're in third, but they're they're not having a great year. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, so then just another question here. There are only three teams in Europe's top five leagues who are currently in the top four of their respective competitions who are not in the top four in terms of league market values. Uh, can you name them? And we've already named one. Leicester? Yes. Can yeah. you name the other okay. two? Um, in, uh, Europe-wide. Yeah, top five leagues, yeah. Wow, that's too where, much math. There's too much math for me on that one. You got it. So Leicester, all right. Leicester definitely. Um, you got to come up with something. It's like Jeopardy. We're going to have a buzzer here. <laughs> it's. I mean, one, yeah, one you sure. guys should probably get because I talk about them a lot in Serie A. Shouldn't be that hard. But uh, Wolfsburg is one in Germany who are having a good okay. year. Juve? Atalanta or the other. Oh, Atalanta. Oh, your love for Atalanta. You just, just yes. he gets aroused when he hears Atalanta. <laughs> That's it. He loves it. All right, what games are we watching? I'm watching the Liverpool game today. Yeah, so they're like today, I mean, this is like an explosion of games. Today we've got Man United Liverpool and what I call the Insurrection Cup. That was the rescheduled match. We've got Dortmund Leipzig in the German Cup final. Um, and then the on Saturday, and then on Saturday we've got Chelsea Leicester in the FA Cup final. Lots of yeah. good stuff. Um, yeah. So I un unfortunately, there are two of the biggest games, if not the biggest games, on the Serie A calendar this weekend: uh, Juve Inter at noon and Roma Lazio at two forty-five. Both Roma Lazio, Roma Lazio um, on Saturday. Why I say unfortunately is that they neither really means that much to both teams um, yeah. because of where we are in the season. So they're a little bit of a letdown on that front. But I I'll still be watching, and I'm sure they'll be fun. All right, del canto per favore. All right, everybody, that's all the time we have on OTP, guys. Good stuff. It was great talking to Peter Wilt. We'd like to thank him and uh, best of luck on his next adventure. He uh, he's on a lot of adventures. That man, he's gone into a lot of a lot of projects. Yeah, and let's not eight. forget, he's also an Uber driver. So he's, he's got also his hands an Uber. Full. He's our Uber he's driver. Got his hands that's full. what it is. So thanks to Peter Wilt for Sam Griswold, and uh, what's your name, Grail Hallett. I'm Kevin <laughs> Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time, everybody, on OTP.